Hey friends, did you know that you can come hang out with me in real life? That's right. The Work In Podcast and Savage Grace Coaching makes its home in a boutique studio space called The Loft Yoga and Wellness in historic downtown Spring Valley, Ohio. This hidden gem of the Miami Valley is nestled in between Dayton, Columbus, and Cincinnati. As a part of my mission to bring a legacy of resilience through movement, each month you can join me for a hike on the bike trail, followed by a free trauma-informed vinyasa class back at the studio on Main Street. Go to savagegracecoaching.com to see the calendar and join my newsletter, A Yoga Life on Main Street, to stay up to date on all the latest studio news, events, and gossip. And now... On to this week's episode. It's time to stop working out and start working in. You found the Work In Podcast for seriously stressed out professionals and the fit pros who serve them. This podcast is for resilient wellness professionals and their ever curious clients who want to connect the dots for lasting wellness. I'm your host, Erica Thomas, and I help outstanding individuals like you Find natural ways to shake off stress, tension, and trauma to burnout-proof body and business alike. The Work In is brought to you by Savage Grace Coaching, bringing trauma release and yoga together for resilience through movement. Private sessions, small groups, and corporate presentations are now open. Visit savagegracecoaching.com to schedule a call and get all the details. Welcome back, everyone. As a seasoned fitness instructor and coach, I've made a conscious effort to leave all politics, including my personal political opinions, at the door when I step in front of students. I set this boundary for myself from day one in my career. Now, I began teaching back in 1998, and as you history buffs may remember, just prior to 9-11 in 2001, there was the whole hanging Chad controversy, and people were really very uncomfortable with that election. I just felt at the time that I wanted my classrooms to be a protected space where you could show up and get a really great workout without any obligation to anyone but yourself, a place where you didn't feel like you had to defend yourself, where you could leave the pressure of the culture outside the door for one beautiful sweaty hour and shut off your brain and get into your body. This is part of holding space. It's the ultimate skill as an instructor. And setting boundaries, personal and professional boundaries, is key. Those boundaries apply to you as the instructor and to your students, and they serve to protect your entire class from things like judgment, unhealthy competition, and unrealistic expectations. Sex, religion, money, and politics. Those are the taboo topics, right? I think there are some situations, especially in the wellness space or coaching, where you may want to address sex, religion, or spirituality, especially in the yoga space, and maybe even money. 
But for me, politics has always been the third rail, a hard limit. And here's why. No matter what I say, I'm going to offend and and potentially alienate 50% of the students in that room. If my job includes establishing a level of trust, a judgment-free zone, if you will, then that flies out the window as soon as I get on my soapbox. So there are a lot of people in the wellness space that consider themselves to be quote-unquote thought leaders or aspire to be thought leaders. I cringe at that term. It's not my job as a fitness instructor or yoga teacher and certainly not as a trauma release coach to teach my students how or what to think about anything, not even about pure exercise, science-y kind of things, because even that changes as we learn new things. There's really no certainty there either. Even all the stuff that we thought was settled science gets turned upside down from time to time, by the body's complexity. That is just the nature of science. We should be questioning it all the time. So whenever there's something really big in the news that kind of crosses over the lines of body, politics, morality, and science, things can get a little bit messy. In the past, it seems like we were so much more capable of having disagreements without losing our ever-loving minds. But these days, it seems really rare that people are able to do that. And I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure why it's so difficult to disagree with someone else without taking it personally. And I'd be interested to hear what you think about it, about why you think that might be. Maybe you don't agree with that, but it just seems very, very common that most people don't know how to present their opinion in a way that other people can accept as just opinion, where we don't just get angry. It feels like when I flip through the channels on TV or through podcasts or whatever, cable news, that rather than making compelling arguments for what they're for, most people are more interested in taking a stand against, insert whatever cause here, or making personal attacks and falling on their sword over logical fallacies. And I guess that makes sense when you understand a little bit about our primitive brains in light of the default mode network and how we're all really wired to the negative and that feels much easier to lean into. But do I want to create a setting where my students feel like they can attack me or anyone else verbally or otherwise when they are not in agreement? No, I do not. I set the example for behavior in my classroom beyond simply leading movement. 
So if I introduce political discourse during a plank pose, then I have to be willing to accept the consequences of opening that conversation. And that is not something that I have ever been willing to do in my classes. So why would I do it online? Why would I do it in this podcast? Well, part of the reason I started a podcast was so that I could do some different things, things that I would never do in real life, but I'm going to do here. The fact is, I don't really believe my political opinions are really anyone else's business, nor do I care what anyone else thinks about my opinions. That is a hard line. That is a professional boundary for me in real life. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I know a lot of instructors try to leave all their personal baggage at the door, but social media presents a little bit of a different picture. If you cross over between real life instruction and online business building, you're going to get some cognitive dissonance, especially if you have that real life professional boundary of staying out of politics. As instructors, we have a voice we have a platform, and we have some kind of responsibility to cultivate that voice for ourselves and our students. Do we also have a responsibility to then project that voice out into the world to stand up for what we believe Famous people do it all the time. It's actually annoying to me when I see a movie star or singer making some political statement or whatever the latest social call to action is. In my mean girl brain, I'm often thinking things like, who do you think you are? Just because you're a millionaire, just because you starred in that movie, why should I care what you think about global warming or my personal politics? It just makes me not want to buy any of their stuff or see their movies. See what I mean about alienating 50% of the room? However, I also believe that everyone has a right to their own opinion about everything. You, me, Tom Cruise, all of us. And that's part of the beauty of living in the United States of America. It's that we are allowed to express our opinions freely, except... On social media. On social media, you will be fact-checked for your misinformed opinions depending on the latest news cycle. Last time on the podcast, Tanya Converse and I spent some time talking about finding your voice. I think a lot of that applies here. I want my voice to matter. I want to make a difference for my students. Part of elevating what you do as an instructor starts with your awareness of who you are and what you believe about lots of different things. And you can't know that unless every once in a while you step back, take a beat, and ask yourself that question. What is the truth here? What do I believe? And is what I believe true? Does that make it true for anyone else? Because here's the thing, just because we think a thought, that doesn't make that thought true. 
It could be, of course, but there's no guarantee of that. Sometimes we're wrong. I'm wrong a lot. And the real follow-up question here is, can you be okay with that? And that's something one of my teacher, my teachers encourages me to ask myself in all different variations of yoga and something that I have been applying outside of the mat, off the mat. A couple of those questions. What is really going on here? And can you be with it? Can I be okay with somebody else who doesn't agree with me? Of course I can. It doesn't change the fact that I still can be civil to them. Now, at the time of this recording, it's been a couple of weeks since the Supreme Court struck down or reversed Roe v. Wade. And since then, the floodgates have opened to a cacophony of voices, some of them in protest, some of them from talking heads in the mainstream media or cable news, and all over social media from so-called, uh, from so-called influencers to memes to the average Facebook rant. Everybody wants everyone to know where they stand on it. Personally, I find myself stepping back from these controversies on public platforms because most of the time the loudest voices are speaking from a place of ignorance and it takes time for a true understanding of the situation to filter out. And for myself, it takes me time to peel back the layers of false equivalencies, emotional rhetoric, and political deception to understand what the real issue is. Honestly, I don't know that anyone really cares what I think about this. I'm pretty sure it isn't going to sway anyone one way or another. But I am a woman. I may not be famous, but I have been in a situation with an unplanned pregnancy, so I think I can speak with a little bit of authority on this subject. Roe v. Wade, from my limited understanding, has always been on shaky legal ground. And that is not my opinion. That has been across the board on both sides of the issue. Legal experts have been concerned that it would not stand if someone got a second look at it. And that's exactly what happened. It isn't the Supreme Court's job to create law constitutional or otherwise. So Roe was never, quote unquote, law of the land. If you want it to be, then actually pass a law for the land at the federal level. And if people truly wanted that, it would have happened. Overturning Roe just put it back into the people's hands at the state level. So get involved with your state's political process. Stand for what you're for. Let me just address this idea of our rights as citizens of the United States. Who gives you your rights? The Constitution guarantees us rights in this country. 
But I would argue that even the Constitution is not the one giving them to us. And that is the whole point. It's really the brilliance of what the founders believed was important to go into this government. We are born with rights as humans from day one. And I guess as far as abortion goes, that's part of the argument here. The argument of when exactly is day one. But that's not part of my argument today. What I mean to say is that we don't really want the government to be the one to give us rights. Why? Because then they can turn around and take them away. There is no right to abortion codified in the Constitution. I would argue we don't really want that. Because if you don't want your government micromanaging your body in one way, then you definitely don't want it micromanaging your body in any other way. Talk about a slippery slope. I've been hearing this term bodily autonomy in the arguments both for and against abortion. I think it's important that we think about what that means. What is bodily autonomy? Does it mean that you can do whatever you want with your body, however you want to do it, with no consequences? Because technically, we all already have that. Technically, you could make a choice to use your body in any way you like, good, bad, or indifferent. That's bodily autonomy. This week, there was another mass shooting at a 4th of July parade in Illinois where there are some of the strictest gun control laws in place. That shooter also had bodily autonomy. Feminist women like to claim victimhood as a reasoning for being pro-abortion. And as someone who has personally faced that choice, I have a problem with the soft bigotry that is inherent in the assumptions that go along with that stance. As if simply being a woman makes me incapable of taking any personal responsibility for the actions necessary to prevent or lead to pregnancy. And I, I just want to step away from the silent screams about rape. Because according to the, the Guttmacher report, which you will find a link to in the show notes, only 0.5% of abortions are the result of rape. What I really want to talk about here is toxic feminism. Yes, that's right. Just like toxic masculinity, we also have toxic femininity. And part of that is an underlying belief woven into our current culture that somehow as women 
or because we are women, we are inherently victims of our physiology and therefore have no control over our bodies without the government stepping in and protecting us. Frankly, it's offensive. Way back in the Stone Age, before cell phones and social media, I spent my early college years dancing on the edge of the abyss of the Blue Church. I embraced pro-choice because in my naivete, I believed that that meant actual choice. And so I found myself at a feminist club meeting somewhere on campus. There were only a couple of girls there and the advisor. And I really wasn't sure what to expect, but I was curious and I wanted to know what this was all about. After all, I was kind of raised with this idea of, I am woman, hear me roar, that kind of thing. And so I showed up at this meeting. That advisor proceeded to share this great news about the possibility of at-home abortions. She showed graphic pictures of a kit that you could use in your bathroom at home to give yourself an abortion. It was creepy as hell. And even worse was how excited she was about it and that she thought everyone else would be too. Honestly, I couldn't get out of there quick enough. That woman made my hair stand on end. I was stunned and really, really confused. Was this really what being a feminist was. Is that bodily autonomy? I share that story with you because it's one of the stones in the path that brought me to this moment and how I understand what's going on culturally in this country. What I understand is that most of the voices don't truly understand how this government works. You don't get your way through intimidation and fear in this country, but you can do it by standing up and speaking out for whatever it is that you are for and convincing a majority of other people to be for that too. So if you believe that abortion is a right that every woman has, then lobby for that in your community. There are pathways to make it happen legally. Work for that in your state where you have influence. Convince others that you are right with valid, substantive arguments. Get the votes. If you believe in the right to life and that abortion should be restricted then lobby for that, for all life. None of us want people from other states making decisions for us, for what's right or wrong in our own hometown or in our doctor's offices. What's right for me in Ohio may not be right for someone in California and vice versa. The overturning of Roe gave that decision-making power back to the people at the state level. That's all it did. It didn't strip anyone of any right. So make your voice 
heard in a meaningful way, instead of threatening lives at the Supreme Court, how about calling your state representatives, your senators and congressmen, start a petition, lobby or run for office, campaign for someone who stands for what you stand for, participate in the process, exercise your voice and the freedom to speak your truth. This country will be all the better for it. So that's it. I broke my own rules. I'll apologize for offending some of you. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But one thing's for sure, you heard my authentic self today. Sometimes it takes hearing, thinking, and saying uncomfortable things to help clarify what you believe. But boundaries are important. It's also a good thing, not only to challenge others, but to be prepared to be challenged. That's a two-way street. It goes for everyone, not only coaches, instructors, and teachers, but each and every one of us. So setting your own professional boundaries around some of those taboo topics will allow you to be your most authentic self and still serve your students with integrity. And like I say to all my students, this work-in is yours. You can make it what you need it to be. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you heard, or you're looking for ways to set professional boundaries and hold space for your students, head over to savagegracecoaching.com and pick up my free guide to holding space. It's a simple, effective way to elevate your skills as an instructor and coach. Thanks everyone, and I'll see you next time.